Hello and welcome to the Head First Podcast. My name is Joe O'Brien, I'm your host and creator of the Head First Podcast and the Head First Instagram page, which you can find using the handle Head First Zero. This podcast is here to bring you all things psychology and mental health, so check out the other episodes if you have an interest in psychology and in mental health. This podcast is sponsored by Spectrum Mental Health, who are a mental health company who do counseling and psychotherapy, as well as corporate psychology services. So I work within their clinical team. If you have any questions regarding the services that I provide or the services that Spectrum provide, you can email me at joeobrien at mentalhealth.ie or contact me through my Instagram page. This episode is episode number seven, and I'll be speaking to counseling psychologist Nicole Polly about workplace wellbeing. I've collected some of the most popular questions through my Instagram, and we're going to address them in this conversation. So check it out. Hey, Nicole, really appreciate you joining me this morning. Um, I know you're really busy at the moment and appreciate you taking the time to have a chat. Um, I thought you'd be really great for this podcast because workplace stress and mental health is something I get asked about all the time. Um, so immediately you sprung to mind. So if you want to go ahead and maybe introduce yourself and give us a, a little insight into what you do um, and why I thought you'd be great for this podcast, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Nicole Polly. I'm a counseling psychologist with Spectrum Mental Health. Um, I do my own clinic where I see people for outpatient therapy and counseling. But in addition to that, I do on-site corporate wellness um, in various different types of companies. So you see a lot of people who are struggling with their workplace setting immediately, essentially. So you're available yeah. to support people all the time with their workplace issues, I guess. Is yeah, right? pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, one of the things um, we, we hear about a lot is this idea of uh, work-life balance. Now, a lot of people think that because of their job, it's, it's kind of impossible to have positive mental health. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to manage all the stress. And, and I'm sure for a lot of people, that's the kind of source of, of their stress or their, their difficulties. But we're also seeing like a shift in, in kind of longer working hours, more accessibility to emails and ability to work from home and all that kind of thing. So how are these kind of changes in, in societal norms or, or the changes in, in workplace affecting people? How is this kind of growing culture of working all the time? How is that impacting people? I mean, obviously, when you're working all the time, it's going to impact everything that you do. I think that what makes it successful is the boundaries that you put in place. So the number one problem is the fact that we're connected to everything all of the time. So if you think about like, I'm just going to use Apple products for an example. If you have a Mac but an iPhone, you get a text on your iPhone, it tells you on your Mac, you stop everything you're doing, you look at the text, whether it's work or personal related. So your brain is often split between a lot of different things. And anything you can do to start time boxing all of that or put boundaries in place will be nothing but helpful. So like the very first thing I tell people to do, depending, obviously this changes based on the level you are within a company, but if you have work emails on your personal phone, if you can, just totally remove it. Oftentimes, if you ask, if you have to use your phone a lot for work, if you ask your company, they'll usually give you a phone. I know it's irritating carrying around two phones, but then the upside is when you're home, you can actually be home. Um, or if you if you have one of those jobs where you absolutely have to have one phone and you have to have your email on it, turning your notifications off because the moment, like if you're sitting at home, it's 8 p.m., you've just finished dinner, you're watching a show, and you suddenly get an email because if you if you work in a company that 
works across various time zones, which many do, you may inadvertently get an email from someone working in North America because it's their working day, but that doesn't mean it has to be your working day. Yeah. So it's about time boxing. This is when I'm at work and this is when I'm at home. Um, I realize that's easier said than done. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and they're not always course. easy things to do, but... Just on that, um, in terms of like level of, of responsibility, do you think that sometimes maybe employees might feel obligated where maybe the employer doesn't expect it? But the, like, do you think there's a, a discrepancy between what the um, employee thinks that they should do versus what the company actually expects them to do? Yeah, of course. And you especially see that if someone's either new within their work field, so say you're, you've recently graduated, okay, I have to prove myself or whatever, or you're just new to a job in general. So maybe you've been working in your field for a long time, but you're new to this particular company. And so you want to prove, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm a good worker. I get stuff done. And there is that want to try to be as efficient as possible when the thing is when you're new you're going to be slow you've got to learn not just the culture of the company you've got to learn their different processes the things that they expect to happen and you're naturally going to be slower at that until you've been there for a couple months or so um and it also kind of depends on the culture of the other people around you like it's slowly becoming a thing where it's almost like a badge of honor to say, I've worked this many hours. Yeah. I only slept five hours last night because yeah. I was getting X, Y, Z done. It's like, well, you're literally proving nothing yeah. by doing that. All yeah. you're doing is making yourself more tired. Yeah. But because we always, well, I shouldn't say we always, but because people present that side of themselves to try to maybe show off or say, look how important or good I am, then we feel like, wait a second, should I be doing that thing? Yeah, it's, it's something I see on LinkedIn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you often see, this is the morning routine that all the billionaires have. Or, yeah. you know, this biohack that if you get up at 4 a.m., it's going to change your life. Whereas mm-hmm. in reality, we know from all the research that not getting enough sleep is like, you know, going to leave you susceptible to stress. Exactly. Um, and all of these different factors that... Again, like you say, it's kind of like a badge of honor. People are bragging about being asleep for four hours and they hear, for example, big influencers like the Tony Robbinses of the world saying, oh, well, this guy gets up at 4 a.m. But that doesn't work for everybody. And when people tell me that, the thing I always like to say back is, let's look at Usain Bolt. Before he got, now granted, I know that he's a world famous athlete, which most of us are not, but, (laughs) (laughs) but do you think that his trainer says, you know what? you should only get five hours of sleep tonight before you go run your big race tomorrow. Like his trainer is saying, you get in bed. I want you to get the max amount of sleep you can so that you can function optimally the next day. Like we should all strive to that same standard. And when people say, well, I'm following this biohack or whatever (laughs) that the billionaires do. Yeah. The billionaires also have personal chefs and they also have someone who cart their kids to and from school and they have someone who does all of their errands for them. You know, most of us don't have that luxury. <laughs> so it's 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 obviously person dependent. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um so I guess one of the problems of of not switching off then is like just that constant st- stressor, constantly always yeah. being connected to work and if work is something that's stressful for you and you don't switch off from it, it's going to have a, a knock-on impact on mental health, right? Of course, you can't be switched on to anything all the time. Like if, if you think about it in reverse, let's say you're going through a difficult time at home. Um let's say that you have a family, let's say your grandmother's ill. And she's in and out of the hospital and people are texting you like, this is the update. This is what's happening. But you're constantly checking that at work. You're not going to be productive at work. Just like if you're doing the same thing at home, if people are asking, I need this update, I need this report, blah, 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 blah. And your partner's trying to like have an important conversation with you while you're checking your phone. You can't be a productive partner or friend or whatever. So it really goes both ways. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
and just on that right be, being constantly connected an awful lot of people will always say they're they're burnt out or they're feeling like they're going to burn out mm-hmm. now i know that from working in mental health that i guess our definition might somewhat differ from the way people might might experience it or might might you know they might say I, i'm feeling burnt out or or i was burnt out this time last year and yeah. maybe there's a discrepancy between what it actually is and and what people feel like it is so if you maybe could give us an insight into what burnout actually is i think that'd be really helpful yeah so a lot of people confuse stress and burnout so stress is when you're overwhelmed you've got too much going on you how am i possibly going to get this all done that like that that would be stress burnout is i don't understand the point of what i'm doing i don't feel like i'm making a difference um i don't feel like i have a purpose in what i'm doing so you can theoretically experience burnout outside of work as well like in various areas of life but Burnout is more related to your sense of purpose, whereas stress is related to maybe how much you're taking on. Yeah. And I know burnout has some kind of crossover symptoms with, with depression. Of like course, you say, that, yeah. that, that purpose um, piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are there ways of managing better even in those difficult work circumstances if you adopt the right strategies? So this, this kind of com- comes back to what I was saying before and that people kind of... Um, nearly feel like it's pointless because their work is so difficult but Mm. even in kind of adverse work circumstances is there any kind of things that people can do personally um if they adopt the right strategies even if the workplace isn't really um conducive to to promoting their mental health yeah of course um and i i guess to sort of start off like to use an example of say like police officers like i think we could all agree that they have very stressful jobs they work crazy crazy hours they see difficult stuff over the course of the day if they didn't look after themselves they couldn't do that job effectively same thing with clinicians people come in and they tell us all of our you know all of their problems all day and things they're going through if i didn't look after myself i couldn't help those people so the first step is about making sure you have the right boundaries in place if you know you like let's say you have a job that's seasonally stressful um i'm just going to use tax accountants for an example mostly because my husband is one. Um, (laughs) But, you know, during tax season, they tend to have a lot more stuff going on. They've got to get ready for tax season, blah, blah, blah. If you know you have a stressful season coming up, prep things in advance. If you know that you're not going to have time to come home, cook dinner, whatever, maybe save up for a couple months so that you can use a meal delivery service for a month to get you by, but without eating crap food. Because we all know if you eat crap food, like sugar, caffeine, that's the things we turn to when we're tired, you get that spike and then it crashes. Yeah. That's not going to be helpful for anybody. <laughs> um, if you know that um, it's going to be a stressful time, what's the one thing that you're happy enough letting go of for a short period and then picking it up later? So it's, it's kind of about planning in advance if it's seasonal. If it's not something that's seasonal that's all the time, it's about just looking after the basics with yourself. So I, I sit, the first one is, are you sleeping properly? Because sleep's always the first thing to go out the door. Yeah. If you are tired, you're not going to have the mental and physical energy to deal with the day. And if you don't have that energy, what are you going to do? You're going to go towards sugary snacks, caffeine, which as a side note, way amps up anxiety if anxiety is your thing. Yeah. Um, and then it just becomes this repetitive cycle. And, and even on that, caffeine then impacts sleep when you're going to sleep 100%. that night. And then if you don't sleep right, I think sleep somewhat impacts how well your your stress hormones are regulated. Yeah. So you can actually wake up far higher stress than your baseline simply because exactly. you didn't get appropriate sleep. And so yeah. that's, like you said, kind of feeds into that vicious cycle. Um, how much of that is like consciously setting aside just, just time for yourself and, and time to actually focus on what you need? 
I mean, that is the biggest thing you're doing. You're planning in advance. You're setting aside what do I need and how do I fulfill those needs. But it doesn't need to be a really long process. It doesn't need to be like, I need to sit down for an hour and plan out my next week or month. It's literally just take five minutes to reflect what's been lacking. And is there anything even small to just somewhat decrease the difficulties around that? Um, So it doesn't have to be anything like this big, massive sit down, make a huge journal to do list. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just basically be more conscious and more aware of it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, now, Nicole, I have, since last week, been collecting questions on okay. my Instagram. <laughs> so I'm going to run through some of them in kind of a Q&A style, if that's okay. Yeah, because um, I, I must have got 50, 60 questions. So I've, <laughs> I've taken them and I've kind of condensed them into what I feel is the most common and most uh, applicable to the people who've submitted them. So yeah. Um, I'm going to cover one kind of category of questions first because you've mentioned it already, but one of the things is is obviously boundary setting. And I know a lot of these questions often refer to kind of the external things like my manager does this or my colleagues do this or, mm-hmm. you know, my workplace expects this. And it's it's it feels like it's very much out of that person's control. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one I'm going to bring up, like I just said, is is dealing with bad managers. So like I'm I'm pretty lucky that... I've had reason to be good managers wherever I've been. Um, maybe that's because working in mental health, they're more conscious of it. Yeah. But I hear a lot and people mess me a lot about stories about how bad managers can be and how they're on the, the wrong end of it. So, for example, what does someone do when they're, you know, what's within their control when they're kind of dealing with, with bad managers? People are like micromanaging and criticizing all the time and I guess just aren't supportive. So someone who's not, again, going to positively promote their mental health. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that can first help take some of the edge off is to try to put yourself in their shoes, not saying that we're giving them an excuse, a carte blanche to just say and do whatever they want. But sometimes if we can take a moment to reflect on, I'm wondering if they're getting pressures from above that they're not handling well, and that's kind of trickling down. That's, to be honest, most of the time what the problem is. They're getting pressure from their own managers, so then they're pressuring the people underneath them to get them the stuff. Um, maybe they're going through a difficult time outside of here. Sometimes just by simply understanding why someone's doing something, you let go of all the stress. So if you think, for example, you're driving down the motorway, someone cuts you off, your first instinct is what, what the hell, this person cut me off. I could have been in an accident, screw them, blah, 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 whatever. But if you think about, well, maybe they just found out someone they love is in the hospital. Maybe that they were avoiding a pothole and genuinely didn't see me. It kind of takes that sting out of it. So I would say that's the first step. Try to put yourself in their shoes and see if there's anything that could possibly explain the behavior. Around that, um, with the boundary setting, people sort of treat us the way we train them to treat us. So if we jump the moment anyone even hints about needing something, then they're going to expect you to do it every time. So it could be about if they're following up over and over and over for this document that's not even due until next week or something like that. Maybe it's about waiting until the end of the day to respond, yep, still working on it. This is the progress report. Or even asking them, you know, I noticed that you're you're often asking me the status of things. Is there a way I can better give you that information so that you don't feel like you have to chase it up all the time? Um, you know, explaining is that you're, you're basically identifying this behavior is not so pleasant. I'm wondering <laughs> if there's something we can do about it, but without saying, you micromanage me all the time and I yeah, hate it. Yeah. Because... We know that being kind of confrontational is, yeah. is not helpful to change and that people can kind of take that as a personal attack. Mm-hmm. So if there's one way kind of not to approach a manager that is doing that, it's to kind of 
step on their toes or kind of push back in, a, in an aggressive way maybe do you think that's unhelpful yes if the moment you go up to anyone aggressively it doesn't matter what the topic is their instinct is to come back defensively and then that just results in an argument and no one wants to start an argument with the boss yeah but you also don't want it to reach a stage where you then build up resentment and you have a blow up down the line so by addressing it the moment it starts you're decreasing the likelihood of having your own blow up and to build you know for that resentment to build over time cool so so getting on their not even getting on their side, but, but trying to see things from their perspective mm-hmm. and approaching it as like a collaborative, let's move forward together kind of approach. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, that's a really interesting one about the, the boundaries and waiting till the end of the day to respond even even to something like that because I know people definitely feel the, the impulse to always be responsive and always, mm-hmm. be, especially with things like emails at home, but even in the workplace that they always feel the need to respond and to even just be able to say well look i'm going to respond at this time because it's appropriate and i'm going to get my work done in the meantime it might be really helpful yeah because one thing i found working with corporations is they often want they want results instantaneously i need this info i need it yesterday and so when i'm working on the corporate sites i will literally only log on to my email once per hour if that maybe it's once every hour and a half i'll respond to whatever emails i need to and i literally close my email because if I get that pop-up at the bottom of my screen or that ding, you have a new email, I stop what I'm doing, I look at that, I respond to it, I forget where I was with where I was going. And if you can sort of, I call it time boxing, you know, scheduling, okay, I'm going to spend one hour just looking at this, then checking the email and then coming back, your time is so much more productive when you're in work. And then you find that you don't need to work super late. You don't need to throw in those yeah. extra hours because you're actually more productive when you're present and working on what you're working on and when something disrupts your flow and you're out of sync it takes some time to get back into that sometimes 100%. sometimes you're on a roll and then an email pops up and then the next thing you're kind of you've kind of lost your place and it takes you some time to kind of get back and involved in that so that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. does the same apply to um to bad colleagues so I've had so many, <laughs> I've had so many complaints about bad colleagues yeah. and people who just aren't supportive, people aren't pulling their weight, people are just kind of draining to be around. Now, obviously there's going to be personality clashes. Not everybody's going to be all best friends in the workplace and holding mm-hmm. hands, mm-hmm. but do the same kind of things apply for, for negative colleagues who kind of just, just drain you or maybe don't pull their weight? And it's hard because we've all had that one colleague where it's like the moment they walk into the room, just you feel all of the energy leave the room, right? So one of the things I like to say here is the loudest emotion in the room is the one that's most contagious. So there was this study they did ages ago um, where they put some Confederates into a queue where people were waiting for a flight. And in one, the Confederate purposefully looked visibly irritated about the fact that they had not boarded yet, checking their watch, tapping their foot, blah, 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 blah. Within a couple of minutes, 75% of the queue of people was doing the exact same thing. Wow. And then in another one, they had someone who was like, all right, yeah, we're going on holidays. I'm excited. And within about the same time frame, other people were like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this trip. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know, so it's not always possible for us to be happy-go-lucky, whatever. I get that. As someone who yeah. tends to be on the bubblier side. But... Um, the more we can try to reinforce this idea of working together, um, and it doesn't have to be directed towards that person. If it's just happening around them, eventually they're more likely to come around. If it's some, you know, every situation is different. If it's like, they're literally trying to say, yeah, I did that work and steal your credit by all means, that should be pointed out. Having a discussion with your manager, expressing frustrations, because uh, ultimately, interpersonal issues within a team is the responsibility of the manager to manage. It's 
it's not your job to take that on. Um, And as a very last resort, just trying to focus as much as possible on what you can get done. I know it's frustrating when other people aren't pulling their weight, but sometimes a project, not always, and some managers may hate hearing me say this, sometimes a project needs to be delayed or to crash a little bit for those things to rise to the surface. Yeah, 100%. I think that's really interesting about saying about what you have in your control because one of the kind of key things that I've learned in psychology is that you know you often see quotes about it all the time is that you shouldn't worry about things that are out of your control yeah and I think that's a huge one in this scenario because often people get really worked up about what other people are doing but we can't control how other people think how they behave how they act but you can control I guess how uh, to some extent how you react and how Mm -hmm. you behave and, Mm -hmm. and that's really important again to take on take on that advice and realize that you know you're not going to be able to change their behavior unless you kind of work collaboratively with them yeah to some extent at least okay next question yep how to manage when the culture is wrong but they provide you with all the services so this was from somebody who explained that they had been given you know well-being talks Mm -hmm. and they have you know all the leaflets and all the um support necessary but their workplace is actually the kind of, I guess, root cause of everything that's going on. So they're not changing their workplace, but they're saying, oh, but we gave you that talk, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of way. Is there anything to, to that that's, an individual can do when the culture is wrong? Now, obviously, they're not going to change the culture by themselves. Yeah. This is one of those scenarios where it is kind of out of your control to some extent. Yeah. But what can the person do in those scenarios? And this is a really good one because I see this all the time. Okay all the time but I think it's really common like we work in in corporate mental health and and there's definitely people out there who who feel like mental health is a kind of criteria to meet rather than trying to really promote the well-being of their employees yeah and ultimately for culture change to happen it had realistically it it has to happen from management and trickle down and that's not always the case especially depending on the type of field you're in a lot of people don't go into business saying i'm going to be all touchy-feely and talk about my emotions and how i feel about things (laughs) um but that all comes back down to train training others how you want to be treated and what i mean by that is the strict boundaries in place like if someone says i need you to stay late for this meeting but you want to attend your friend's gig because they're performing or you wanted to attend your daughter's recital because she's you know been working on this all week it is none of their business why you can't stay late everyone has different reasons or things they have happening outside so by being very clear these are the hours within which i work there may be the odd time where i can help out here and there but this is when i'm working and when you're leaving not answering work phone calls not answering emails literally turn the notifications off because if you see a notification you're gonna respond to it yeah um, and even if you don't respond to it it might be stuck at the back of your mind and then again kind of increase exactly. that you know i need to get back to that tomorrow that's on your mind for tomorrow then so yeah. it can even kind of trigger that that stress for, for the future in a yeah way, to some and extent. ultimately unless you work in a hospital no one's gonna die you know yeah. the world's not gonna explode if you deal with it the next day it will still get done and the more you continue to do that, people will realize, oh, even though they have a good work-life balance, they still get work done. And so people will stop emailing you after 7 p.m. or 6 or whatever your working hours are. People will stop bringing out to you because they're only going to keep doing that if they realize they get a response. Yeah. So it, it all comes back to really maintaining your boundaries. It's a hard thing to do at first when you're readjusting them. Yeah. But then once they're there, it makes all the difference. Yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've learned from 
a couple of jobs that I've had is that readjusting your boundaries is more difficult than setting them in the in first, the first place. place. Yeah. yeah. Um, just on that, you, you mentioned treating people the way you want to be treated. And I think it's really important to note that when that comes back around full circle, when you say, oh, I can't do that tonight because I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, that when somebody else comes back to you with the same response, that you can also be appreciative that they might be in the same scenario. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, next question. Yes. Ties into boundaries as well. Okay. Um, so, we often talk about when people kind of put themselves or put their jobs before themselves. Now, there's definitely plenty of people listening who, who go above and beyond in their roles, but kind of maybe at the expense of their own stress levels or their own mental health. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about boundary settings, but two of the questions, I'll start with the, with the first one. Yeah. One of the really common ones I get is, how do I say no? Now, you could write a whole book on this, and mm-hmm. I know there is books on this. <laughs> but how does someone begin to actually put their foot down? I know different personalities and different individuals might find this easier or harder. Yeah. But where, where to start when you want to put a boundary place and, you know, you want to say no and, and you want to make that change? Whenever, it's funny, I was having this exact conversation yesterday. Whenever you're saying yes to something, you're always saying no to something else. So technically you are saying no. It's just what you're saying no to. So if you're saying yes to working some overtime hours, write on a piece of paper, what have I said no to by doing this? Now, sometimes it's going to be worth it. It's not like you've, when I talk about boundaries, it's not like, you know, you become super strict and every day at 5 p.m. I'm out the door and no one talked to me. It's not that. I know there's flexibility within it. But if it's something that's happening on a regular basis, start keeping a tally of what are you saying no to when you've done that in the past. And then over time, you'll start to realize, you know what, actually, I don't want to say no to this thing that I really, really want to do and is important to me. So sorry, unfortunately, I can't. Yeah. The average person is not going to say, well, why? Tell me every intricate detail as to why you can't stay late to work on this project. No one, yeah, yeah. We, we worry people are going to ask that, but the average person is not going to ask you why you can't stay late. Yeah, or why you didn't respond to the email or why you missed the call. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's really interesting, actually. And keeping tabs on what you miss out on, because often those things that you could miss out on, the things that you are saying no to when mm-hmm. you're saying yes to, for example, your manager they can be really important for your mental health. Yeah. Like it is the social time, the family time, the things that kind of add purpose to your life that Mm -hmm. are really important for your Mm -hmm. mental health and your stress levels. So by always giving it up for work, you're kind of balancing it in the wrong direction, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now the second one, um, working hours and extra hours when you're at home, I guess we kind of covered that, but is that kind of the same idea that I guess that is saying no really, isn't it? Yeah. When, when you want to say no to something that if you're asked to do extra hours, you can say no. Um, how do you find people who have management that come down on them hard for, for saying no? Is that something you've experienced or is that something you feel like? I mean, happens? it does sometimes happen. And I think it it's culture by culture in every different office, right? Because every office has a different culture. Sometimes it may genuinely come down to if after you've tried all these things and they're just not working sitting down and really evaluating, is this the job you want to stay in? You know, luckily at the moment, touch wood, we're in a job market where we're not in the middle of a recession at the moment. People are hiring. The economy is doing well. So if you're stuck in a position where you're really suffering, maybe it's about really looking at, do I need to make a change? Or on the flip side, I know this is a little bit of a tangent from that. If, um, 
let's say you do have the hours in a place where you want them, but you just feel like, ugh, work is so irritating and sort of going back to the burnout, I don't feel like I find a purpose in what I'm doing. Find something outside of work that still gives you a purpose. So maybe it's about volunteering one day per week. Maybe it's about, you know, you find purpose in being a good parent or partner or like, you know, you're really into the sport that you do and so you find purpose and meaning in running whatever team you're on. I don't know. But if you can get the hours piece under control, still find that purpose elsewhere. That's really interesting actually because people, I actually got a specific question last week saying, um, should everybody love their job? Absolutely Um, not. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. Because, right, for some people, their job will give them that purpose. Mm -hmm. For some people, like, they might work with a charity that's really in line with their values and they might get so much from from doing that work. Mm -hmm. But for other people, they don't, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of having purpose in your life rather than having purpose at work and at home and in all these different areas, right? It's it's about finding your purpose overall rather than always trying to find it at work, right? Yeah, and I hate when people say... Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. That's crap. It's yeah. absolute crap because there is such a small subset of people who are actually doing the job that they love and they dreamed they'd always do. People pick work for one of two reasons. Either A, because they're really interested in the topic, which it's great if you can find that, or B, because it, of what it allows them to do outside of work. So maybe you have a really repetitive, boring job, but it's flexible and it allows you to go to the gym when you want to go to the gym, go on holidays when you want to go on holidays. Um, but the job itself is super repetitive and boring, you know? Yeah. We we all pick jobs for different reasons. And if your job is your sole purpose, what's going to happen when you retire? Yeah. You, then you immediately lose your entire sense of purpose. For And you actually see that a lot in people when they retire. They literally define themselves by what they do for work. And then when they retire, they're like, well, now what? Yeah. I have no sense of purpose left. Yeah, yeah. And quality of life then goes down if you 100%. have no sense of purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was actually tying into to my next question, which was should everybody love their job? Um how do you for somebody who does hate their job, because I got lots of people saying, I'm struggling with my job, don't want to do this for much longer. This is something I don't enjoy, but I kind mm-hmm. of have to do and they feel kind of obliged to do it. How do you kind of frame that idea that it's allowing you to do something that's important to you. That's fair enough, because sometimes we just got to pay the bills, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, it can be helpful to retroactively look and see what things does this job allow me to do that maybe another type of job would not. Okay. Um, so, okay, maybe my job's really frustrating that I have to work long hours, um, but because that gives me the pay so that I can do whatever I want on the weekends. Or maybe, um, like I said earlier, the flexible hours lets me do what I want to do. Um that's Along. a really interesting one, actually. Sorry, just on yeah. the flexible hours thing, because I got a, a number of nurses, because there's health professionals um, out there who, who follow the page. Yeah. A number of nurses were saying, you know, I hate working shifts. And I know nights are, are incredibly difficult. When, oh, yeah. They suck. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're incredible. And it's okay to, to, to know that, that sometimes they're difficult. But again, finding finding a way that that suits you, and that might be that uh, I get two days off, or I get three days off in a row, and it mm-hmm. gives me the opportunity to, to do something else. It could be I have time to mind the kids, I have time to do something else. It's kind of trying to find the positives in what might be a difficult situation, right? Yeah, so we take information in from our environment that's consistent with what we're going through. So you think about if anyone out there drives a car, when you first bought that car, suddenly you saw that car everywhere on the road. It's not that there's more of whatever that car is, you just have a reason to notice it. If you're feeling really frustrated in work and you're not happy with how something's going, your brain's going to purposefully find the negatives in every situation. So by identity, and I say this because I get people who go, 
you know, this just feels like I'm faking my way into being happy. Realistically, you're recalibrating your brain's filtering process because we don't have the amount of processing power to take in everything in our entire environment. So by identifying, maybe there are small things you like in your job, like maybe the work you do is hard, but you like the people you work with or you get free lunch or I don't know, whatever the different perks might be along with that, keeping a list so that you're reminded that those things are happening. Um, you're not saying that there's only these positives happening. You're just saying there's these negatives and there's these other things happening as well. So it's like you said, it's, it's quite easy just to focus on the negative, but often there will be other things that, that it allows you to do those, those positive things mm -hmm. within that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like uh, basically like kind of looking out for them or kind of being aware of them, or do you need to jot them down? How does that, how does that work? I mean, for I, really everyone does it a little bit differently. I personally like to write down, I like to do it as three positives a day because it's not just related to work. It kind of recalibrates your thought process and life generally. Okay. I like to write them down in my calendar app on my phone. So when I'm having a really crappy day, I can look back at what happened over the course of the week and realize, okay, yeah, this current moment sucks, but the last week really hasn't been that bad. Some people, you can work it into conversation naturally. And I don't mean coming home and being like, hey, flatmate, my positive today was one, because <laughs> I know no one talks like that. Yeah. But the first thing you come home was, how was your day? Instead of going through it in chronological order, start off with, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it was okay. I had a really good conversation with Siobhan from work. She was telling me about blah, 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 blah. Oh, and they brought in donuts, which was really nice. It was a great treat because it was really rainy and the weather was bad. Um, and I got a green light the whole way home driving down man 11 or whatever and then going into the rest of your day and people will naturally start to mimic that same conversation process and it's nice to hear what's happening with yeah, others yeah. that's really interesting that you say people mimic that conversation process because when you start it with the doom and gloom you often get the doom and mm -hmm. gloom back right you thought your day was bad yeah, yeah. people try and one-up your, exactly. your day yeah. So, so yeah that makes it quite difficult too mm -hmm. just on people who, who hate their job now you mentioned kind of a point where they might consider changing jobs what is that point for, I know it's obviously different for everybody, but are, are there any kind of signs where, you know, you talk to, to people who you work with and think, you know, this might be time for this person to maybe reconsider. Is there any kind of signs that this might be too much for this person or they're not quite suited to what they're doing? I mean, anytime you find that it's not meeting your long-term goals. So let's say someone's really interested in career progression. If you can't progress in your role, that's a no brainer. Maybe you should look somewhere else. Um, because sometimes people get down about the fact that they can't move up and they feel stuck. There's nothing worse than feeling stuck, like you can't make a decision. Um, beyond that, it's just if you've tried all these things and you're still really suffering with burnout or workplace stress, then starting to look. So if you have tried setting boundaries, if you have tried doing the positives, if you have tried having conversation with your boss, I always say go back and talk to your boss about if you are unhappy, because if you're thinking about looking somewhere else anyway, what, is, what does it matter if they think you're happy or not? If they know you're unhappy, it gives them the chance to try to fix the situation. If you've tried all of those things and you're still unhappy, you don't feel a sense of purpose and you just need to change, then starting to look. Yeah, that's really good actually. Even looking as far as when you have all the other things in your life, like having the sleep, having the exercise, having the mm -hmm. good diet, but you're still feeling down about your work and, mm -hmm. and you've done all those things like you just said, maybe time to change yeah yeah okay i have got through i think the the depths of the the, the deeper questions yeah. i guess um i'm gonna fire through the last few because um i'm aware that you're very busy and we need to kind of wrap this up <laughs> at some point um now we know that the quote um the compar that comparison is the thief of joy 
But how do we stop comparing ourselves to others who are further ahead in their career? So how to kind of focus on, on yourself? Yeah, that's something we could all do a little bit of because we all compare, not, like not even just in work, but in life. We always compare ourselves to other people and yeah. what they're doing. So I think one thing that could be helpful is, okay, what are, what are the goals you want to set within your own life instead of, well, Bob over there is doing blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, if there's, a, if there's a career goal that you want to meet, start off with where you want to end up and reverse engineer how do you get there. Sometimes you can do that on your own. It may involve having a one-to-one with your manager, supervisor, whatever, to say, this is what I want to do. How can I get there? Um, I always say, if moving up is something you want to do, talk to your line manager about it. If you don't have a good relationship with that line manager, reach out to somebody else. People love helping other people. Um, And they may have insights that you may not know about within either the job field, the company, whatever. But the more people know you want to progress, then the more likely you are to get it. If you never share that information with people, they may think, oh, yeah, sure. He's just happy out, like, doing the same job over and over. He's never expressed an interest, so sure, we won't offer it to him. That happens a lot. And I know it's hard to ask for things that you want or to share things that you would like to do. Um, so that's why I say start off with who you have a good relationship with so that they can help basically mentor you and what you should do. Cool. Um, so again, kind of focus on yourself more than focusing on, on other people as, as easy as that is said, it's probably yeah. harder said than done. Because then when you go back and you start ticking off what you've done, like say every month you check in, have I done anything in relation to my goal? Even if you haven't met that goal yet, the fact that you can see you're working on it can help give you that boost to keep going. Cool. Cool. Um, and part of that, I just have jotted down in my notes here, is comparing yourself to yourself rather than to other people. So look mm-hmm. at where you were and look at where you can go and take those steps yourself rather than always kind of looking for what other people have. Because there's always yeah. going to be someone richer or higher up in the field. Oh, of course. Or, or more popular or whatever it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I talk yeah. about that a lot. Cool. Um, is there a way, again, there's probably books written on this question. <laughs> is there a way... Um, are there any tips you can give to people who struggle with imposter syndrome? Now, this, again, is super common. Yes. For those who don't know, imposter syndrome is kind of feeling like you're not worthy or you're not um, ready to be where you are, especially related to your career, but that you're kind of a bit of a fraud, a bit of an imposter, right? Nearly everybody has imposter syndrome, okay. especially if you're newer in a job, if you're not as experienced or like, say, you're a recent grad or something like that. So what I usually have people do is whatever situation arises where they feel it pops up. So let's say they had a meeting, they were, you know, presenting and it's like, Oh, I got lucky there, but if only they knew, you know, how anxious I was because most people hate presenting and talking and blah, blah, blah. So writing down what were all the thoughts going through my head and basically going, do I have any factual evidence for or against that statement and just do it over and over. And what you'll find is oftentimes you'll say, ah, sure. I got lucky there. But then you repeat that every time you feel that way and you realize I can't just magically be getting lucky 50 times in a row. Maybe I am actually, you know, the fact that I put a lot of time and effort into preparing this presentation, the fact that I've done my research, um, you'll find as you look at the facts for and against each statement that actually, no, I think I do know my stuff. Now, is imposter syndrome going to come back 100%? But each time it'll come back less and less and less until you feel more confident within your role, but it's very easy to fluff off reasons as to why something magically turned out okay. And without maybe consciously reflecting on it, it might just keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. So that is taking your, 
what pops into your head? The ideas that I shouldn't be here. Why are people coming to listen to me? For example, at a presentation, I know I got that when I started this page. Um, the whole head first thing, I guess, yeah. that people were following it and people who were mental health professionals were following it. And I was going, why are they listening to me? Why are they tuning into what I have to say? Mm-hmm. And all those thoughts definitely went through my head, but it is about reflecting on you know what can you see here that's that's factual and what is just your own your own brain thinking up these thoughts because we that, can have strong opinions that feel like facts yeah, yeah but it's about okay actually sitting down do i have do i 100% know for a fact not 99% 100% that this is for or against whatever my thought process was how do you differentiate opinion from fact oftentimes Strong opinions, especially if they're unhelpful, are very rigid. So I always do this. I never blah, blah, blah. I always mess this up. Do you, do you always mess it up? Or is there that one time out of a thousand that you actually don't? You know, so things that are, that's the easiest way I can think to really explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really rigid beliefs, basically. Yeah. And if you find yourself using that kind of concrete black and white, always, never, can't, those kind of words, then maybe that is your opinion rather than a fact and when you look at the the real evidence you might find something different and those things are a lot harder to challenge for yourself because you're inside your own head so i always tell people if they really struggle with that like go see a counselor do a little bit of you know counseling or work around it um it's easy for me to point out things to other people because i'm not the one experiencing them yeah 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 so it's easier for for someone like you to to pick out maybe where someone's has that or has that kind of concrete language or, or yeah. black and white thinking rather than them trying to get themselves out of it yeah yeah i think that's really interesting because this is a little bit sidetracked but i i got a question recently about can you pull your own can you pull yourself out of depression or anxiety and i think that's one of the key points in answering that is that we often find if if our thought processes contributes to where to what got us there mm-hmm. it's very hard to unravel them ourselves without maybe somebody it supporting can be, us. Yeah. yeah yeah not always some people some people are able to do it yeah. it just kind of depends also on how severe it is okay um but i always like to akin counseling and therapy to like personal training so some people know what they need to do in the gym they don't need a personal trainer to show them some people know what they need to do but they need someone to hold them accountable so they go to the personal trainer to hold them accountable or they need someone to just show them what to do Counseling is the same thing. People come in and I'll say, here's some exercises. Let's look at this. Or maybe they know what they need to do, but they need to come in and have someone say, did you do your homework this week? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Accountability in a sense. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool. That's really interesting. That's a really good um, metaphor. I might, I might steal that and use that in the future. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, Nicole, I know we're running out of time. So just to wrap up, um, what would be, I guess, your key take-homes or any kind of key messages, anything that you want to kind of summarize about what people can do if they're struggling for, for mental health or stress at work. The first thing I tell people to do, now this depends how big your organization is, is find out if they have an EAP program. Most companies, especially if they're larger, will have some form of EAP where you can go in for free sessions. Now, when someone has an EAP program, that it's never reported back to work that you attended, how many sessions you had, what you talked about, whatever. It's totally confidential. Um, beyond that, chat to someone who you're close to and you trust about how you're feeling. You know, it's not a burden you have to share on your own. And sometimes just by talking about something out loud, we kind of figure out what we want or need to do about a situation. But in the end, ultimately, if you need to chat to someone, chat to someone. Sometimes we need that little bit of extra assistance. We need that person in our corner who's not personally biased by the situation to 
you know, help feed some of that information back to us. Amazing. Um, that was definitely one of the most interesting podcasts that <laughs> I've recorded myself personally because I really enjoyed that. So thank you very much for, for, for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Of course. Um, if people want to contact Spectrum Mental Health, Nicole does work with um, Spectrum Mental Health doing counselling and therapy. Um, so if you want to maybe say where you're based or, or what you do, a little bit around that. Yeah, so I'm based in Fitzwilliam Square um, in town. And I, I mean, obviously I do a lot of the workplace stuff because I'm on site, so I can help people with that, but also just do general counseling or if someone needs help around that as well. Cool. So if you want to contact Spectrum, um, all the details are on my Instagram page. So feel free to check that out. Nicole, again, thank you so much. Um, this was really interesting. And hopefully everybody who is listening got something from that.